0: Today's Inspiring Growth podcast is brought to you by Red Truck Investments. The good folks from Red Truck Investments helps you sell your house quick in any condition. Go to redtruckinvestments.com to get started. That's redtruckinvestments.com. Hey everybody, Mark P Fisher with Inspiring Growth and I cannot wait to introduce you to Beth Fisher. Beth, by the way, no relation to me, she inspires action. So she spent about 25 years coming along some of the largest Fortune 500 companies to help the leaders re-engineer their business process, all with a singular focus to grow both personally and professionally. And Beth is, man, she's a smart cookie. She has multiple master's degree, but it's what she did last December that caught my attention. She left her 25 year career in corporate America and is now serving in the nonprofit world as the VP of Communications and Advancement for Mel Trotter Ministries, whose mission is to provide restoration for anyone experiencing hunger and homelessness. Beth also just released her first book, Remorseless. And, and I totally agree with a recent reviewer who said, Remorseless is like an instruction manual on how to be amazing. Beth's a mother, a wife, and a marathoner. In addition, she is a speaker and life coach. And here's kind of her focus. She she helps people get through life's decisions and challenges as she herself has persisted and persevered in the midst of a sea of uncertainty in those life changes and transitions of life. Also, I want to let you in on a little secret. Beth is going to give away 10 of her books for Inspiring Growth listeners, so stay tuned in the podcast to discover the secret code. Ready to jump in? Okay, let's go. All right. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Inspiring Growth Podcast. I'm Mark P. Fisher, and on our podcast, we share stories of struggle that have led to growth matter of fact uh our guest today beth fisher no relations she and i were going back and forth in our email conversations and a metaphor came to me as we were going back and forth in our emails that the podcast is really kind of like coming upon a a horrific car crash that leads to a hero's journey that's really what our podcast is about it's It's this idea that all of us face struggle all of us go through these me too moments where I have gone through something that has really been painful but in the process of deconstructing those experiences and moving forward I have found in my own life and many of my guests lives That this is in fact The journey that shapes us into the men and women that we are meant to become and that is why i'm so excited to share this time with you and invite you to meet my new friend, Beth Fisher. Beth, thanks for joining us via Zoom from Michigan. Welcome.
1: Yes, good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Good,
0: good morning. Good morning. Well, our friend Andrew Olson introduced us. He did. And uh, so I'm grateful to Andrew for that as well. Tell us about the sign behind you, it says, Inspire Someone.
1: Yes, that's how I knew we were meant to be. Not only because of the the last name connection, um, yeah. you know, it's because the very first time we we Zoomed, you and I, I'm looking behind you and I see the word inspiring, inspiring growth. And you're like, hey, nice sign. My sign says inspire someone. So for me, it is all about inspiration. So again, another sort of sign, no mm. pun intended, that this is meant to be.
0: Oh, so good. So what, where I want to start is this book you just wrote called Remorselessness. Remorseless. See, even even as I looked at the title three times, I, I don't know why I said to myself, I'm going to mess that name up. Remorse- <laughs> yes, Remorseless. Not Ness. Um, I, I want you to tell me h- how it is that you came up with that title. What, what, what was the genesis of that title?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I did not know what the title of this book was going to be until I was probably midway through it. Mm. And Remorseless means without guilt in spite of wrongdoing. So the second that I heard it, I think perhaps I, I used the word in a regular sentence and I just stopped and I thought, mm-hmm. wait a minute, this whole journey is about that. It's about ditching and, and getting rid of right all these labels and expectations and assumptions, which is the subtitle of the book, but also getting rid of this overarching sense of guilt, this heaviness that mm-hmm. life sometimes brings along and we're carrying it and we don't even know it. So I thought, that's it. That is, mm-hmm. That's the title. I'm not going to waver.
0: You know, it's funny you say that you started the book, but you didn't have the title. Right. Uh, I remember hearing Bob Goff. He wrote Love uh, Does and Everybody Always Love Him. And he's inspired me in so many ways. And he says, sometimes we don't know the name of the chapter until afterwards.
1: (laughs) Many times. And he's exactly right. He's exactly right. Yes. You don't know what you're going through as you go through it.
0: No, you're in the middle of it, and you're and you're and you're working on. So, inspiring growth, listeners. Beth's journey is um, it's not linear. Uh, it's like a river going through a gorge that just sort of meanders. But the insights that she offers, I think, uh, are have been inspiring me as I have read the book. So, Beth, tell us a little bit about your story and and why you even started to write the book that had no name at first.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for years, uh, first, let me just preface this by saying I'm terrible at taking compliments. I think that is a sort of a trust issue. And right. I'm a little cynical at my core, although the older I get, and I find myself in midlife uh, removing some of those, own, you know, my own labels. But for years, people would say to me, you're such a great writer. You need to write. I'd love to listen to you. And I, you know, I didn't take much in the way of um, that other than so, a nicety. Right. I didn't know it was a suggestion.
0: Hmm. although the interesting, wait a minute, part, wait a minute, a nicety, not a suggestion. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. That somebody was just sort of being complimentary, like how that you know, like almost pleasantries, okay. like, oh, like almost they felt obligated to say it.
2: Cause, because it's cause around, you're together.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, what can we possibly say about her? Oh, she, she talks a lot. So therefore, wow, she's a great speaker. Well, okay. So I didn't necessarily think that it, you know, I had been told numerous times, but yet it was almost because I did know it deep down. Hmm. And because of that, that was the one thing that I thought: if I do this thing that I firmly believe I was, you know, created to do. I think we all have these inherent um, mm-hmm. talents and gifts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought, okay, if I do this and mess this up, then what? Then what does that make me? So, oh,
0: it took oh, a while.
2: Oh, oh, oh! Yeah. Mm. Wow.
0: <laughs> so I, I, I could just sit, Beth. I could just sit in that that fear. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I've tried these things and i messed up and that's not really my passion, but the, this this matters to me. If I screw this one up, ugh.
1: Right. And you know what's crazy is I'll tell you some other labels that have been thrown my way. So the book is essentially kind of takes you through my journey of how I unraveled many of those labels. But um, I've always been labeled as a doer because mm-hmm. I, I am, right? Action oriented. And I always like new things and I'm always intrigued by things I don't know how to do. And what people have told me over the years is, well, wow, you figure stuff out. You know how to do a lot of things. And I think, well, that's just because I try hard. However, again, it goes back to I had sort of all these worldly successes and people telling me complimentary things. But again, I stayed away from writing this book for many, many years. And I wrote everything but newspaper articles and blogs and any, anywhere words were, I've, I followed. I went, mm-hmm. but not into this book until I met somebody last year at a conference who said, you need to write a book. I could speak to you. My millennial daughter would want to listen to you. I want to listen to you in midlife. You have a lot of these stories and experiences. This needs to go into a book. And I finally just went, fine, <laughs> okay, let's do it.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about the book. And and folks, uh, we're going to tell you later in the podcast how you can get the book. Um, but he, I want you to talk about labels. Mm-hmm. What is it about labels that are so good and so destructive?
1: Well, right? We're, they're words. And so so. what's so good about them, in my opinion, and as part of this book, we'll let you know, um, I personally, my journey has revealed to me that there's more um, destruction that happens with improper labeling than with accurate labeling. And so, and or, again, because- or is your because, first
0: chapter is fictitional labeling.
1: Right. Fictitious labels. Yeah. Because to me, accurate labels is, is really subjective, right? Because An accurate label has to be received by that person, and somebody has to say, yes, I I am okay with this label. Otherwise, it's just somebody, the label giver, projecting that assumption onto the recipient saying, I think that you are this. I think you should be that. And so we have all these layers of confusion and what I say is wrong narratives on loop in our heads over the years that we either try to uphold so I'm convinced if somebody labels us, somebody that we like or we admire, somebody mm. who's supposed to love us, we will say, I'm going to do everything in my power over the course of my journey to live up to that label. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's such an expectation level. Right. Too
1: much. Or conversely, in my case, if if somebody, um not proud of this, this is not resume worthy, but if somebody who um I didn't necessarily like or I knew was coming at me from a different perspective, when they would label me, I would do everything in my power to prove them wrong, to not accept that label, and then also sort of parenthetically make them feel badly that they ever offered it in the first place. I'm pretty competitive by nature, so that took a lot of different forms.
0: Well, can you illustrate both of those kinds of labels in your own story?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in a very small town and uh, I was bored. I still am bored fairly easily. So I was a little precocious. Um, I'm not much of a rule follower, I appreciate them and I love hierarchical structure and you know, I always was the girl that would sit up front in classrooms. I love to learn, but I don't sit well and I never, never did. So I got a job early on and people would say, you just think you're better.
2: Mm.
1: And so the label of better was really what I crushed me, honestly. And I thought, I don't think anything, I don't understand where this is coming from. You know, and I'm talking like six, seven, eight, twelve 12 years old, a young girl. And I would say, I don't understand people would like me one minute and then turn on me the next because, and I, I felt that was a whole trust issue. Like, great. They're being complimentary. Let's go do this. Let's hang out. Let's have a good time. Let's go play sports, whatever that looked like. And so I began that early stage of the relationship with a trusting um, outlook. And then if I, as an example, won a game or did better in school or whatever it was, They said, you just think you're better. And I thought, well, this is what the point is, right? We're hanging out, having fun. And to me, my mindset is always do the best you can do. Mm. So that's a very real lifelong example. It cost me um, friendships, marriages, you know, many relationships trying to figure Mm. that out and be okay and stop apologizing for this level of honestly, just being me.
0: Tell us how it's affected your marriage.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So what I found is that, um, In my case, men were attracted to that. They were, wow, she's really intriguing. She's good at work or whatever it was. Um, Kind of, you know, um, uh, conversational. And so we could, you know, have these conversations and just be, I could be engaging. I am engaging. Um, So they were drawn to that, that sort of overwhelming, wow, she's sort of in your face. Like she's a lot to handle. And they liked that. Until they didn't until mm. right it was almost like the goal, like, "Wow, this girl, I'm gonna get this girl." <laughs> and then we got married, I got, I've been married um, more than once, and then it was, "Wow, you you think you're so smart, don't you? You just you have all the answers, don't you? or you're so opinionated, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Are you guys new? I always have been yes. So I write about this in the book too, and it really I didn't understand how words, the labels of "You're so accomplished, I love you." Or later, many years later, you're so accomplished. Who do you think you are? The wow. Same words. I'm wow. the same person. Right. I had a hard time reconciling that because I'm like, what am I doing, quote, wrong? I'm still being me. This was the me that I thought you loved. I haven't changed. What about this am I doing that's causing you to not like me?
0: Did you yeah. find answers?
1: Later, yes. And it's funny because I actually um am on good terms with with people that – um you know, I used to be married to and have had past conflicts with in life. And now they, I think it's growth, right? It's growth and transformation and change. And you, you stop being stuck at that point in your individual journeys and you stop projecting blame onto somebody else. And I think the older we all get, the more we realize, wow, that was on me. And so when people go through their own hero's journeys or their own struggles, they can see very clearly relationally backwards in time when they go, wow. That's why I treated that person like that. So uh, there's been so, a lot of apologies.
0: Uh, let's come back to that. But if I'm a listener, I'm like, uh, have you had 37 marriages? What What are we talking about here? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, not 37. No, I, I, um I succumbed to all the expectations. I grew up, um, I'm an eighties girl, which is why I like uh, metal music, but I very much. Favorite band? Hair bands. Oh yeah.
0: Hair bands. Like,
1: White Snake, Van Halen, Def Leppard, all. Okay,
0: of them. all right. Here we go.
1: <laughs> Anything other than
0: country. Well, when I was in high school, I started a radio a rock radio station for my school during lunch, and those were songs we played often. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Oh, love
1: them. So my parents have still been married that almost fifty years, and so that was my model. And my model was after college, you get married. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. It was you know next on my to do list, next on my checklist. I thought I was adhering to the societal and. Uh, maybe not overly stated, but assumed expectations that I would go to college and get married and realized very quickly, I had no business being married. So I was uh, married when I was 21, didn't last that long. Um, And then remarried when I was almost 25, married for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. And when he left, uh, I was about 37. I thought, I'm done. Like, I'm out. I'm going to the convent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am never again going to partake in this crazy endeavor. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and now you're married to a Fisher. I am. <laughs> and how long? Because nobody been... likes a
1: quitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how long have you guys been married?
1: Well, oh, boy, I'm also not super sentimental. Like I think about uh, sixteen, August of sixteen. So this August will be four years.
0: All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to. I have to check with my wife on dates too. So it's like, uh, <laughs> I know I have five kids. I know we were married for thirty two, but I don't know, you know, dates. I I I get it. Um. So you're not a quitter. Okay, so some of the labels that you were given, you embraced as an expectation, people were drawn to that until they weren't.
2: Mhm.
0: I I feel like that is in its in itself um a struggle. How do you, you know, you're you're just being you and then I don't like that in you. It's pro- probably every marriage counselor in the world will say what drew you together will drive you crazy later. Mhm. One time, I used the illustration of a magnet with my wife. I said, "Sometimes I feel like we're opposite sides of a magnet. I'm positive, you're negative." <laughs> the the restraint she used to not slap me was remarkable. I was going to say, "How'd that go over?" It didn't, <laughs> and I haven't really used that illustration until now. And now the universe has heard it. But um, you know, 32 years of marriage, uh, we've been in. We've been in multiple counseling and therapy sessions together trying to figure ourselves out. And our therapist has spun that metaphor for us in such a more healthy way that we are the same coin, just the opposite sides of the same coin. And that's really helped me sort of re-take um, that label that thats wasn't that positive and, and right, return it. Right. Okay, so a a part of the labeling process uh, also had some religious overtones. Talk a little bit about some of the places on your faith journey that where labels really started affecting you.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, uh, again, a very young age. So I often kid people and say, you know, I am Italian and Irish, which is true. So I didn't have a choice. I was going to be raised Catholic. (laughs) And I was, I had about 30 years of Catholicism. And so you know, again, I like to learn and I like to sort of be the first to do things. So I was from a very young age, I was, you know, learning all the prayers and catechism and going to all the right things that you're supposed to go to. And I never could understand um, legalism. So my brain at a very young age was, wait a minute, let me get this straight. So you're saying if I have a bad thought in my head that I don't really know how it got there in the first place, but God made me so he should kind of know how it got there. Like, isn't that his fault? <laughs> so that's my young age thinking that. And then I would start to say, so as the way to kind of like win this game. I go into this box, AKA confessional booth. When like the light turns green, I say that I'm sorry. I have nine, eight, seven, some subjective number of, of Hail Marys and our fathers to say, and then I'm totally forgiven and I can go do it again next weekend. Hmm. So it, I never understood the process. It was sort of, um, if you are a good girl, I heard be good or else go to hell. Mm. That's what I heard. And I heard good and bad. If you're good, if you do these things, you're good if you don't do these things like lists. And my head works very well with lists. I'm a very Mm -hmm. list goal oriented person. So I'm like, okay, well, give me the rules. What are they? But then I didn't like the rules Mm. and I had questions about the rules and I thought who made these (laughs) rules? And, and you know, what if I like, how do I figure out the way to apply them and are they always applicable or maybe just in certain you know circumstances or situations and so that's why I went back to school actually um and I have a couple masters degrees in theology because I honestly never knew what scripture said I didn't I wanted to understand who wrote the rule book <laughs> uh, so yeah.
0: yeah so along the way uh, you started asking who wrote the rules what are the things you discovered
1: wow getting on the hot seat here so um I discovered and you'll maybe pick up on this since I'm not um, you know lovey dovey kind of girl, and obviously, as my marital record marital record will show you, um i I discovered that scripture is the greatest love story of all time ever. And that is somebody you're talking honestly, to a girl who would still to this day rather watch die Hard than like the notebook. I, I don't I mean, I'm all like, what? I don't even understand. It feels icky to me. But when I read it and I understood that there was a beginning and a middle and an end, I thought well if somebody would have told me this was a narrative when I was younger. I may have read the thing But it's really just a journey it is to me um, the story of forgiveness and how to treat one another and everything else is in there for the betterment of our lives but not necessarily to say if you don't figure this out the first time you do it and you mess up six or seven times it doesn't mean that you're gonna go to hell 86 times a day
0: and uh, You are by nature insatiably curious Yes. So you're asking these who and why and what questions. Uh, One of the things in one of your chapters you talk about for an insatiably curious girl, these questions along with bad decisions and wrong relationships and remorse haunted me for most of my life. I was ashamed of my own story Mm -hmm. until life interrupted my carefully constructed script. I went from living in response to what others labeled and expected of me to facing a crisis that left me stripped of my very DNA. And let me tell you, I didn't see that coming, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, sure. So you heard me say I married my daughter's dad right out of college. That was on my expectation and to-do list. So I began dating him when I was 19. We were married when I was 21. I had my daughter, my only daughter, when I was 23. And when her dad left, uh, we were seven hours from family and friends. So I had a new baby, a new job. I had postpartum depression, all the things that I didn't yet know were things. I was only 23 myself and he left us. So we were there, the two of us, I thought I can do this. I will raise my daughter on my own. I have a job. I can make this work. Um, in the middle of all of that was when I was diagnosed with leukemia and they said I was going to die. They said, there's no cure for this type of cancer. Um, there's nothing you can do. And so what I heard was, wow, you are going through a divorce. This is your punishment. Uh, yeah, that's what my upbringing uh, had taught me, right? That I wasn't being a quote, good girl. Uh, and therefore, this was the consequence. I didn't say, say enough Hail Marys, apparently, to get me out of the cancer card. Um, so yeah, I everything changed. I had a bone marrow transplant when I was 25. I was in the hospital for 35 days. Um, I was the only person that made it out alive which was interesting because I didn't understand I, again at that point in my journey, I saw people that I was befriending in, you know, Cleveland, Ohio was where I had my transplant. They were there for the same reasons, the same type of cancer and they all died in front of me. And mm. I thought, but those are good people. So this whole concept of good, bad and punishment and what did they do? Right? Like a boy, if I went, I'm going through a divorce, I'm a horrible person, man, I wonder what they did. And, but then I started to question, but is Dying really, the punishment, so many questions at such a young age.
0: How did you interpret or make sense of that very question of connecting your tragedy and your cancer and their death and not yours with good, bad, evil how did how did you how did you make sense of it?
1: Yeah, I didn't then. You know what I did is I shoved it down because I couldn't deal with it. It was too much. It was basically people would say to me, when I got out of the hospital, a lot of well-intended people would say, Wow, I bet you're so close to God now. I bet you stop and smell the roses. And I'm like, you know what? I just want to go home. Hmm. I, I don't know. I just want to go home and go like to the dry cleaner and the bank and live a normal life again. Like, hmm. you know what? I, similar to what we're going through today, I didn't want to be trapped. I didn't want somebody to tell me you have to stay here. These are the things you can't do. I'm like, I just want to be for a second. Um. So hmm. again, I I wasn't sure how I was supposed to show up at that point in my journey and live up to what other people's, again, expectations were me. Wow. You must feel this way right now. And I'm like, but I don't, mm.
0: I don't feel this and then way. Do then you all feel so. guilty if you don't feel that?
1: Exactly. Right. It's exactly right. So there has to come a point in your life. And for me, I would say it was about 10 years later where you start to say, I am here for a reason. I matter. And the way that I think is not wrong. It's just different. Mm. When I started to frame that and gave myself permission to think really whatever I wanted to think and, and question it and wrestle with it myself against my own backdrop of curiosity, as opposed to what somebody else was filling in my head, I just had to shut out that noise and think for myself, which I've always been able to do, but really wasn't allowed to do.
0: How did you make space for that process?
1: I read and I journaled. And honest, that's when I went back to school and, you know, I know this isn't the answer for everybody, but for me, I wanted to understand my personal upbringing and how generations of Italians and Irish people were like, hey, what is Catholicism? What does this even mean to be a Catholic? Isn't that just a label too? So I got to the point where I wanted to read start to finish. And I'll tell you, it was like the hardest book I've ever read. I read all the time. And I thought this scripture stuff is dumb. Like I can't pronounce these names. I don't know. Why is this Old Testament stuff matter? You know, we're not sacrificing oxen at a table anymore. Like I couldn't <laughs> I finally understood why people didn't read it.
2: Mm.
1: But I was determined. I'm like, this has got to tell me something more than I know right now. Mm. Um, and it did. and i I made the space to read and learn and question. That's the biggest thing was allowing myself the ability to question, no matter how dark those questions seemed or wrong they seemed. I just sat with those questions and thought. Well, maybe there isn't an answer and I'm okay with that too, but it's okay that I have the question in the first place.
0: So I want, I want you to illustrate a question that you have wrestled with that has actually led you on a good journey, but have you ever noticed that in some settings, some tribes, questions actually trigger really negative reactions?
1: Oh, oh yes. All all the time. Like how dare you ask that? It's almost like hush hush right and that's what i felt all the years in church was i had questions about god mm-hmm. but if you ask somebody who was supposed to be in authority within that construct like how dare you ask that question I'm like well then what are we doing here i could be mm-hmm. at home doing some other stuff if i'm not allowed to be here and figure stuff out it just felt like a giant waste of time for me mm. so true
0: so yeah. true there's a metaphor i'm thinking of i'm trying to remember where i heard oh oh oh, oh. um Rob Bell said uh, in his one, I think it was his first book, Velvet Elvis.
2: <laughs>
0: he had discovered uh, this beautiful <laughs> side of the road, Velvet Elvis. And he said, are we supposed to just keep uh, repainting the same painting over and over again? Do we just put that, that painting on a copy machine and distribute it? Uh, or are we to explore? Are we to ask questions? Are we to find the art, the beauty, the answers on our own journey?
1: Right. Right. And I, yeah, I love Rob was probably one of the first reads outside of what I was told to read that made me go, all right, other people have these questions too, right? It's all about a sense of belonging. And when you are in an environment where everybody, it seems very programmatic and it seems almost, and this is harsh, not just about the Catholic church, but in general, cult-like, right? When you feel like everybody looks, thinks, acts the same. It's like, well then how do we know? Mm
0: -hmm. Right. And
1: I'll never forget when my daughter was, I don't know, six or seven and I was actually, you know, reading some scriptural story to her. She goes, Hey mom, she said, what if there's another mom and daughter on the other side of the world that are reading from a different kind of Bible right now? She goes, is that mom and that little girl, are they going to go to hell? And she was
2: panicked. Mm.
1: And I thought, I have no answers for this, you know, because why would I teach my daughter to love humanity? That we're all the same, that we all have value and worth. And then I'm gonna go, well, except those people that are reading the wrong book. Mm. (laughs) That's craziness to me. And but yeah, I was still in the program back then, Mm -hmm. Um, and this is not at all to admonish any of this because it really I am very much a believer, and I very much believe that we are all here for a reason and with purpose. But we have to allow ourselves the space to question because again, if if we don't, then we're just prescribing to something that feels like um, we're almost doing the entire reason we're here a disservice Mm -hmm. because if we're made in the image of a greater being, right? And this greater being is supposed to be omniscient and omnipresent and know at all times what we're thinking, then I'm pretty sure it's okay. I'm pretty sure it's okay when God knows I'm sitting in a church going, wait a minute, why can't women preach again? Mm. Like this whole Timothy thing, I think that might be wrong because that guy's like watching paint dry right now. He's, he's not gifted to speak and that's okay. He's gifted at something else, but guess what? I have a problem with if I am made like this and I do have words that I think matter and can help other people. And you're just telling me, cause I'm a female, I can't say them. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done Oh
0: boy, with that. Oh boy. <laughs> you're going to open up the great big can of whoop. That's maybe
1: box. another podcast, Mark.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I think we'll explore that at another time. Well, when you tell that, when you talk about those distinctions and, and fitting into these molds or cult like things, there's part of my journey where I've, I've come to realize that, um, there's something in our culture, our overall culture, that really affirms great actors. Mm. Well, why is that? Why are these actors, you talked about Die Hard, you know, why is Bruce Willis affirmed? Well, part of the reason he's affirmed is he takes on another character, a script someone wrote for him to fit into a story. But if you sit down with Bruce and say, so tell me, what's it like to be? He'll be like, that's not who I am. Right. But we are great actors, and we take on a script that is not ours. And ultimately, it leaves us with a sense of, as you said, we're made for something more, something different. Yeah, we can put that that script on, and that's good for this little thing over here, but it's not where we get our value and our worth. And I think one of the things in your book that really... Uh st- turned a key for me is when you talked about that You found two things crucial in your own transformative journey talk about those two things
1: Well, I need to go back and visit that page. What did they well it, it was
0: first about mustering the courage to forgive and the <laughs> second <laughs> part of that transformative journey came from another label And that was a label called god
1: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Well. Well, that's that's really it And so that was again sort of the turning point for me. I love when people will say Well, what was your one defining moment? And, you know, it wasn't like I had this moment and everything made sense. It was the ongoing journey of bit by bit, pulling back the covers and deconstructing as I went along and questioning and giving myself a little more permission and then saying, okay, that makes sense to me. And then continuing to move forward and asking more questions and peeling back more layers. So for me, it was um, a process of forgiving myself for all the dumb, like really dumb (laughs) things that I did. Choices I made specifically decisions because I made decisions based on what I thought Other people expected of me instead of what I wanted to do
0: Okay illustrate a terrible decision at the most vulnerable and raw place and then tell us how you forgave yourself
1: Well, this is gonna sound it wasn't a terrible decision The person that I married was not a terrible person So I want to preface that getting married was terrible for me at that age at that point in my life Good distinction Um, yep so i don't I don't regret that in any way shape or form because that's that's why my daughter is here, and she, I adore that girl and so uh, we are incredibly close now after all the tumultuous teenage years um and I couldn't have kids uh after my transplant so right thank thank goodness I had her when I did but for me um that decision to get married without thinking for myself, I had to forgive myself to say it's okay that you chose that because look at the good that came out of that mm. um but it's also OK that you didn't want to. You're, huh? you, you, It's really OK. You don't have to be anybody other than who you are. And if there's any hesitation, I, I instill this in my daughter all the time. And I'll say any red flag, visceral feeling, right, that you have any red flag, it's a sign. You need to sit with that and go, I'm not going to decide or choose right now because something is off. Mm. I had to forgive myself for all those off times and I ignored them.
0: So you felt the red flags and you ignored them. Yes. Because you believed that this was the next step in the journey of your tribe or your community or your family.
1: Uh And you didn't listen
0: to yourself.
1: That's it. I listened to everybody but myself. And I had to forgive Mm. myself because for shutting out my own voice, I had to say, hey, self, I am so sorry. You matter too. And I'm going to start listening to you more so than I listen to everyone else.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. But Beth. What do you know? I mean, how can you listen to your voice? You're just, you're so young. How can your voice be more important than everyone else's?
1: It's not more important than everyone else's. It's more important to me in my decision-making process, just like everyone else's voice is the most important voice they can listen to in their own decision-making for themselves. It doesn't mean that we all have a free pass to project everything we think. as Could you imagine? I mean, mm. I'm sure we've all been in situations yeah. that that happens. And then, you know, you mm-hmm. walk out of the room going, Oof, no, thanks. But, but for me, my voice, I know me better than anybody else. Like I'm mm-hmm. stuck with me. I'm in this body for you know almost 47 years. It's like, I, I know really what matters to me and what gets me out of bed in the morning and what excites me and the things that conversely, I don't want anything to do with. Like, I know mm-hmm. what I'm terrible at. I know what I really don't have any business to be around, what, what just motivates me to be better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so why would I let somebody else say, you should do this and you should think that i'm like uh, oh should. yeah
0: so how did you, you forgive have, yourself
1: yeah i just took a lot of i took a lot of years of de- uh, deconstruction for me is huge and so that's mm. really what i spent a lot of time doing is just to say where did that come from what was the impetus for that decision why do you, why do you think you thought like that in the moment then how would you think about it now
0: mm.
1: and parenting really has <laughs> helped me to do that as well right yeah you're laughing yeah. you know
0: Oh, Raising Five, uh, parenting has transformed me more than I've transformed them. Yeah. That's now, it. one of your chapters is called Deconstructive.
2: It is. Yeah. Would
0: you mind reading some excerpts from that that really speak to you?
1: Sure. Sure. Let me pull it up. So it's um <clears throat> right here. I got to get my readers on for this one.
2: So
0: here we go. No judgment.
1: Yeah. Part of ditching labels and expectations requires a process of deconstruction. This can be a long and arduous process, and in my case, it absolutely was. I had to let go of all the expectations, judgments, and wrong narratives that played on loop in my head for far too many years. And let me tell you, for a label hating control freak, that is no small undertaking. (laughs) Deconstruction, by definition, means you must take something apart bit by bit, piece by piece, before you attempt to put it back together again. Only here's the issue you can't deconstruct and reconstruct a lifetime of habit in one sitting like a kid's 10-piece puzzle. If you go the route of the quick fix, the picture, the creation will look exactly the same as it did before. And I don't know about you, but that seems like a giant waste of time to me. Why would anyone, especially those of us who have no patience or engineering skills to begin with, bother to go through such a painful exercise only to end up right back where we started? If you're 10 years old and you try to deconstruct yourself and the whopping decade you've been alive, then sure. You could accomplish a life overhaul in the same amount of time it takes you to count to your age, but the older you are, the more experiences, trials, and mistakes you have amassed, the longer deconstruction takes. When we are young and living in the zones of curiosity and discovery, taking things at face value seems easy. Whether our childhoods were fun and carefree or serious and controlled, we started out with zero assumptions about our journeys through life, and we often spoke that way. That is why the saying, out of the mouths of babes, exists. Kids call things the way they see them, straight up, unadulterated innocence. However, as life unfolds, we begin to observe the nuances. We begin to see through less childlike eyes the times when people's words and actions do not align. We witness their reactions, not only to others, but primarily and most importantly, we assess their responses to us. It is exactly from this perspective, among the plastic pails of sandboxes and rungs on playground slides where expectations are born.
0: Oh, uh, so uh, it just rings true for me. Expectations. Let's, let's just pause there for a minute. Uh, doesn't Beth have that down to earth yet driven spirit about her? Hey, let's just pause for a minute. I want to introduce you to Brian and Sheila Tome. Name sound familiar? Yep. Brian was a guest on the podcast. He shared a story about jumping off a 900-foot river gorge and his parachute didn't open. That was the last episode of, of Inspiring Growth. Check that out if you haven't listened yet. But Brian and his wife, Sheila, have a really interesting company. It's called Red Truck Investments. It's named after a 1951 GMC farm truck that he bought, and then he restored to new life. Kind of like what he does with red truck investments. He buys houses. And often those houses are a little run down, they need a little TLC, and, and then he and his team breathe new life into it, after which they either sell it or rent it. If you have a house you need to sell quickly, start a conversation with Brian and Sheila. Go to redtruckinvestments.com. That's redtruckinvestments.com. Oh, and if you'd like a free copy of Beth's new book Remorseless, here's the secret code. Go to Bethfisher dot com to the book section and enter the code inspiring when you check out. All right, let's return to our conversation with Beth Fisher. Talk about how expectations have shaped you, how you're able to face it and deconstruct it.
1: So as somebody who has always been, you know, a doer or an overachiever, if you will, I never wanted to disappoint people. I always, and especially if somebody underestimated me, I thought, well, I'm going to figure this out. And so it was easier for me to say, well, these people just expected that of me, but then I had to go back. And as I deconstructed, I said, well, wait a minute, how much of this did you expect of yourself? So so then I had to sort of deconstruct the blame game a little bit too, because it's always easier for us to blame other people, right. For our bad choices instead of taking ownership and accountability. So I had to say, Nah,
0: no, speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I get so different. I take things so personal. Sometimes it's completely unproductive.
1: It is, you know, and, and that's kind of the thing. It's like, man, when I was in my twenties, I thought, I, I don't know. I, I see my, a lot of myself and my daughter, she's 23. And I just shake my head and just want to say, oh, to my parents, like, oh, so sorry. Um, and everybody who knew me at that age, because, you know, you, you start to go into the world and you think you have all these things figured out. But for me, expectations shaped me insofar as I wasn't going to let anybody down. And I definitely wasn't going to let anybody think that I couldn't do anything. Mm. So therefore, I just made all the decisions as if there were no consequences to be had Hmm. that that was a terrible decision-making process. It was
2: terrible. Hmm. Hmm.
1: So now when I make decisions, I, the very first thing I, I start with is why, why do you care? You know, why do you even want you are asking yourself um, that? Yes. Uh Yes. Because I used to just, I didn't even question, um, whether or not I should spend my time doing an activity or whatever it was, you know, trying to accomplish something, being in a relationship, getting married. I never bothered to say, is this what you really want? Mm. So now every single decision I'm faced with, I say, why, why do you care? Why does this matter? Who will this help? Is this coming from a place of, of authenticity? Like, is this the real you speaking, or is this just some expectation that you're trying to adhere to because somebody thinks you should do this, you know, better, should you, or should you not? And then, have enough transparency and vulnerability to go to that person and, and say, I'm sorry, I can't. And here's why. And uh, sometimes the here, sometimes the here's why is I'm sorry. I can't period. doesn't even need the yeah, explanation.
0: It doesn't, doesn't need the why because the why can turn into a uh, debate or a, uh, get talked into it. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the things <clears throat> as a, uh, as a doer myself, I really, Resonated with in your book format was at the end of every chapter, you had remorseless reminders. So, you know, three, four, five things from that deconstruction chapter. Talk about those reminders. Because I think, folks, as you're listening to Beth and I's conversation and her story, um, you know, it could inspire some growth in you. The transformative growth that we all feel comes through struggle, it's not by being on vacation. I mean, we can get a good tan. Drink a nice, you know, Moscow mule, look at a sunset, but a personal in, internal transformation or inspiration to do something amazing rarely comes from that place. So talk about the, the, like, what were the reminders at the end of the deconstruction chapter? And folks, when you get this book, you're going to, I think you're going to appreciate the, the way she's formatted this. Yeah.
1: So the end of the deconstruction chapter, the reminders are, Rushing the process of reinterpreting all you've learned will land you right back where you started.
0: Okay, so don't try to do it in a microwave.
1: Yep, yep. Because, I mean, I'm telling you guys, I tried. I tried in one fell swoop many times. Like, how how long can this take? Five minutes? I'll figure this out. Not Mm. so much. (laughs) Secondly, when nuances in people's words and actions are observed, presumptions begin to take root. Thirdly, right relationships are not transactional
0: explain that's that. a big one for me yeah explain that
1: yeah right relationships are not transactional so um human relationships and and i took this into um you know my relationship with god and whatever people decide to call that if they are in relationship that way but so horizontal relationships and vertical relationships are not transactional meaning uh people on this earth that with whom you are in relationship should not love you if there should not there should not be if then in my case It looked like if, then, or else, but um, it should be fully unconditionally. Doesn't matter what you do or don't do. And I know that sounds pretty trite and forever. I didn't believe it, but that's the case because if it's a transactional relationship and you don't feel like showing up with your transaction, then what does that mean? And where does Mm -hmm. that leave you? So it has to be on a very deep, authentic level, right? Transactions, not so much. I mean, anybody can do that.
0: You know uh, that reminds me. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with one of my uh, business partners. We're 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 starting this uh, thing called Inspiring Tours in Costa Rica, and I met Caesar with my wife and and some family uh, a few months ago. And I was really inspired by his story. And he's going to be on a future podcast. But with Caesar yesterday, it was Easter, right? So he and I were chatting, and I and it was it was chatting in relationship in how he was doing with his three kids and how he's doing, what he's doing in the, with the day. And then I just saw the bridge. We crossed this bridge to transaction. Oh wait, the to-do list for the, you know, inspiring tours. We got to do, and I paused and I thought, Hey, Caesar, let's do that next week. And I think as I hear you talking about right relationships are not transactional. I think I just stumbled into that reality yesterday that I just wanted to be in relationship with Caesar at that moment and not make it transactional. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of insight. What's the fourth thing on the reminders?
1: If we truly desire to be known by another person, we can't expect it to happen overnight. Time is a necessary requirement for any relationship to flourish. So that specifically means with ourselves as well. So, Mm. you know, we we can't, you can't deconstruct something. As I mentioned that, you know, you're alive on the earth for for 10 years. What are you going to deconstruct? Right? So, we have to allow our sense, ourselves a sense of forgiveness that, yeah, you know what? I made some really dumb decisions in my 20s, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm not going to just forever be stuck back there and prohibit ourselves from moving forward into you know, where we're actually supposed to be, which is this ongoing journey.
0: Now, wait a minute. And I think it's, What if you made a decision in your 20s that you are stuck with today?
1: It's mm, a good question. So it's interesting. I actually do a coaching program specifically, mostly for women around this who say, how do I get unstuck?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because being stuck to me is no place to be. And so uh, for me, where there's a will, there's a way
2: Okay. always, okay.
1: always. And so um, if we are to grow into the people, right. And, and to continue to transform, but you have something that's weighing you down mm-hmm. and whether that might be a decision that you made that you're weighing yourself down with that remorse and the regret, right. And the guilt, then there are ways to work through that. Um, I, I don't. I don't think we are stuck in anything. I really don't. I always think that there's a way out. Now there are going to be obviously. I can see your face going. Well, what about this?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. You read me well,
1: like a book. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I just I, and that for people that say, well, you know, you can see the, the beauty and the yes, you can see everything every moment. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is. Mm. There are ways to look beyond the circumstance that you find yourself in and figure out a way to get there. I fully believe that. Hmm. You right, know, when the right people come along,
0: mm-hmm. you know, I think in terms of marriage, you get married in your 20s. We were married. Laurie and I were married in our 20s. And there are moments in our life where we are just don't like each other. And we wonder, what were we thinking? Mm hmm what were we, what was going on? And, and, and now that we are becoming different people, how is it, how's it work now? <clears throat> how do, how do you live in a relationship that you want to be committed to? You made a commitment to, but you feel a little stuck. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that's different feeling stuck and being stuck. Right. Cause you can, that's, that's perspectives and that's mm-hmm. also perception. And that's again, perhaps even a wrong narrative on loop. Like we I talk about, so you get this, this just rhetoric in your head, like I hate this person. Why did I marry this person? This is not the person I thought I should be with, or you know, we have nothing in common anymore. Whatever the kids held, whatever those excuses look like, and I honestly think that's out of fear too.
2: Hmm.
1: And and fear many times fear of put it, having to put in the work. Oh, yeah, because I'm afraid that if I actually show up and let this person see me for the me that I am at age 50, as opposed to the me that I was at 20, they may not like me anymore. Mm. there's some real fear like that right that fear of what if what if I actually am vulnerable and I tear down this wall that I've put up probably over the years
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um then what Mm -hmm. then again like kind of like I talked about earlier when we first got started um, a little bit ago and I thought okay what if I fail at writing this book then what am I what do I have left and similarly in relationships right what if I let this person actually see the real me so we can get unstuck and keep going onward together. But then what if they don't like me, then what? Well, you know what you cross that bridge. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Figure that out.
0: And I think that's, I think fear is what has for me, um, kept masks up because what if they don't like, they were drawn to this guy, Mm -hmm. but the reality that was a, that was a somebody else's script I was reading from. Right. Um, that's that's hard work girl that's not the easy that's not the easy path Mm -mm.
1: it is and let me read you this is the part this i just reminded me so this is a different chapter but it says in order to love who we are we cannot hate the experiences that shaped us Mm. nor can we get so stuck in guilt and remorse over those experiences that it prohibits us from moving forward not giving up walking straight into the fear of the unknown ready to face whatever it may bring, is always worth it. Doing so not only allows us to wrestle our way through difficult situations, even when we don't know the outcome, it allows us to grow into the people we are meant to become.
0: I'm going to delete that whole section from the podcast because that's just too freaking hard. <laughs> no, kidding. it's I'm true. Kidding. It's, it's the work. It is the hero's journey, right? To,
1: you, you can spin it however you want, but I think the work that each of us are meant to do is to be on that journey in mm-hmm. continue to grow into and transform into the people that we've always known we are. I'm a big believer that we all, all, each of us, know who we are from a very young age,
2: mm-hmm. but we
1: get off that path because of all the labels and the expectations and assumptions and societal constructs mm-hmm. that go, well, that's great that you knew, but let me take you on the journey. And it's not until you take the reins back and go, you know what, I'm driving this thing, thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The copy and paste mentality of our life. uh, You just, you got to start with a blank slate. chapter 10 filling in our unknowns. Is that where you were just reading from?
1: It was. Yes.
0: Was there more uh, chapter 10 filling in our unknowns that you want to share?
1: Well, you know, for me, I'll just, I I won't read anymore, but I'll tell you. um, So that started out with my cancer journey. And I think this is true for all of us. So for about a two week period, when they said, Hey, we think you have cancer until Mm. they, so they took a bone marrow biopsy. They sent it away back in 1999. It took two weeks to figure out what it was. Mm. So they just called it cancer, but they didn't use the right word. I couldn't fill in the unknown of what kind of cancer do I have? So what I say is just like when we are labeled with wrong words, we don't know how to fill ourselves in, right? Mm. Like if somebody says you are this, but it's not the accurate description or it's not the full picture, right? You have cancer, but we don't know the specificity. You are a human, but we don't know the specificity of what kind, like what, what gifts and talents Mm. you have and who you truly are Mm -hmm. trying to fill in all those unknowns. That's, that's to me, the journey. You have to fill those in, in a way that you can right? be cured (laughs) in in my case and, and really just show up every single day in the way that you've always been designed. Mm. Right. For me, that's it. And I, I finally am like, okay with it. I'm like, you know what? Love me or hate me. I'm
0: good, and that's that's a healthy but difficult place to be. Love me or hate me, but I'm good either way. Yeah, especially in for some some people. In my my case, I, I grew up in a performance based acceptance. Mm. If you do, you are then loved mm-hmm. or, or good. And I think uh, for Lori and I in our journey of parenting, someone shared with us. They heard me saying, I can't remember the exact example, but they heard me saying to one of my kids hey you're really good instead of hey you did a good job right and making a distinction between action and personhood right That's yeah it.
1: it's all about
0: identity yeah so much to unpack um now listen i know you're insatiably curious i've i've obviously this is an interview about you and your story and your book but any questions you want to throw out uh, to me
1: well You know, I know you briefly, right? I know you a little bit just from Andrew. So I don't really know um, your journey, why you care so much about inspiring growth. Like what sort of struggles led you to understand that this is really relevant and it matters to people.
0: Mm. Well, part of my story of the birth of inspiring growth was a complete um, uh, it was an accident of words. In hindsight, I would say it this way, that perhaps some destinations that we travel on that have detours on it, they might not actually have been a detour. They might've actually been the path. Mm. And what, what I was walking on before is this enormous desire and pursue to lead. I had been the vice president, second chair in organizations for many, many years. And there got to be a place where living in Southern California, um, being the vice president of sales and marketing for a very large Christian camp, um, I just I felt my voice was uh, slowly being diminished to the place where I left the organization, but I had no clue where I was going afterwards. And that led uh, me to a place professionally where I became the president of a nonprofit. And the board said, listen, if we keep going the way we're going, we think we'll die. And we know your history and you can, you know, you, you, maybe you can turn the ship. And may, and I kept saying, this is, a, this is a cruise liner ship. This is not a jet ski. I'm a jet ski turner. And they're like, that's okay. You know, w- let's go. And I was like, all right. And I'll tell you, during the eight years as president, uh, the first five years I had four, excuse me, the first four years I had five stomach surgeries. Left me with chronic pain and I was taking tons of pain medicine and I was struggling uh, in my family uh, to the point where actually my wife said to me, I don't know if you realize this, Mark, but I think those pain medicines are numbing you to the place where you are raising our fifth child differently than our first kids. I don't think he knows you. And that was the wake up call where I said, I've got to get off these pain meds. I've got to do something about it. And I went for a procedure to kind of help me transition off of it. And sadly, the doctor accidentally cut a blood vessel in my spine and I bled out and I was temporarily paralyzed from the waist down. I say temporary, it was a day, but um, thankfully, a skilled neurosurgeon came in and was able to reconstruct and take out stuff and do a bunch of work. And I remember at the end, it was one in the morning. I, i was sitting um i was laying in my hospital bed and i woke up and all five of my kids and my wife were at the end of the bed and my youngest son said pop can you move your toes and i had my feet up in the bed and i started wiggling them and they all cheered and then they explained oh this terrible thing happened well that led me down to the path where i i had to resign as president of the nonprofit. Uh, the board of directors were very generous to help me make a bridge to whatever was next. And during that time, I started a consulting practice. And about three years into this consulting practice, one of my clients, because the name, Beth, the name of my company was Payne Fisher Marketing Group, which mm-hmm. is my my name. Payne is my middle name. But my client called me. I've been helping him for a couple of years. And he says, Fish. He says, he says, I just want to tell you something. You have inspired such growth in me as a leader. Plus, our organization has grown like 62%. And I'm, kind of, I'm thinking about running for mayor of Prescott, Arizona. What do you think? And I went, hold on, what are you saying? Can we rewind that for a second? What did you say? And that word launched my desire to inspire growth with leaders and their brands by helping them increase their revenue increase their leadership journey and increase their joy
1: very cool yeah wow and you know i bet you never thought that
0: no right? heavens no i would have right? never guessed
1: that's the best part it's like we don't know like you said we don't know if we're on a detour or the path
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you got to keep showing up and, and moving forward or else you're not you're definitely not going anywhere so that's cool yeah. thank you that's a that's a cool story and a cool journey.
0: yeah and that's why i love hearing your story Struggle and deconstruction and faith and and the birthplace of your vulnerability Is created a connection as Brene brown would say for all of us and I hope uh, Those of you who are listening to the podcast will will uh, pick up Beth's book Uh, I'll tell you more in the close of how to get it uh, As well, Um, beth what what other books have shaped your thinking
1: yeah, so um Patrick Lencioni. I'm a big fan of his, uh, five dysfunctions of team. Okay. So, so I, yeah, I didn't share too. So I, um, I was in corporate sales for 25 years and I recently left. Right. So now mm-hmm. I work for a not-for-profit. I've got a team of about eight or nine people and I just went, wait, what? Mm. <laughs> so, you know, that's pretty interesting.
0: Um, I but, love Patrick Lencioni. He's got two podcasts or webinars. He's been doing, uh, about the the whole crisis and how we go through it as consultants and they've been very instructive but i've read every single one of his stories oh, yeah.
1: amazing amazing okay. so um i also am a fan of um good to great obviously jim collins and what got you here won't get you there um mm-hmm. uh, marshall goldsmith so those are you know my leadership and moving forward sort of books but um i really like Eckhart tolle so a new earth is mm-hmm. pretty interesting to me i haven't
2: read that one yet
0: but
1: yeah he's I, very insightful um sacred rhythms. I enjoy Mm, Ruth Haley Um, Barton. Yes. Yeah. And then obviously you already mentioned Brene Brown, right? All the darings and the great and the, you know, rising strong. She's, Mm -hmm. I mean, she's my girl. So it's just any, any sort of book that says you don't need to be here. You can get there and let me tell you how, let me tell you why. And you know, some of this might resonate with you and some of it might not, but it's worth reading. (laughs) It's worth trying to figure it out. It's worth asking the questions.
0: So good. Well, thank you for being spending a little bit of time. I feel, Beth, there's more that our listeners would benefit in our conversations. So let's have a conversation afterwards about ways we can share the things that you've learned, maybe in smaller bite-sized pieces as well. You up for that?
1: Yep. I'd love it. Thank you. Sounds All right.
0: good. All right. Well, thank you for being on the Inspiring Growth podcast. Yep. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks for joining me for another inspiring story of struggle that led to growth. By the way, I am super encouraged and amazed that our podcast is now being listened to in 49 states and 42 countries. Thanks for your five-star rating, folks. And as a reminder, if you'd like a free copy of Beth's new book, Remorseless, here's the secret code. Go to bethfisher.com and enter the code INSPIRING when you check out Hey, thanks for Dylan Garvin with Studio D Productions for editing today's podcast. Also, starting next week, we are pivoting the Inspiring Growth podcast to 15-minute episodes, sort of in the spirit of the old-timer Paul Harvey and the more recent storyteller Mike Rowe, whose podcast I love called The Way I Heard It. Here's the thing. Did you know that in the history of our country, not only have we endured a Great Depression, but you want to take a guess at how many recessions we've experienced? 47. And during this time of COVID crisis, many folks are losing their jobs. Over the next eight weeks, I'll be sharing two stories a week about men and women just like you and me who started a company after a huge recession or a loss of a job. My hope is, that these stories will inspire you to do something amazing as a result of the economic devastation that we're all going through right now so stay tuned next week starting on wednesdays we'll be dropping a podcast a week telling stories of people who have gone through struggle as a result of recession or loss of a job that turned it into an amazing company so stay tuned And please share it with your friends. And finally, friend, if you want to grow in your connection with others, even during our disconnection and social distancing, it's still possible, but keep in mind, be kind, be present, and ask good questions. I'm Mark B. Fisher, your Chief Encourager with Inspiring Growth.